Good. It's Brock. Hey, Brock. Is Brock? <laughs> <laughs> I man, I was, I was, uh, I was thinking of what I was gonna say to bring us in. Uh, it was gonna be uh, cohesive and, and well executed. Um, and then right, right as I hit call, a um, small human being carrying two stuffed cats ran into the room wearing nothing but underwear. The, wait, the, and it, everything you had thought flew from your brain. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what I ended up with was uh, the the um, a sort of uh, person holding a clipboard going down a list of names sound of of greeting someone <laughs> of like oh and now we have Brock <laughs> Brock <laughs> Why, Waker Waker no. Brock what Waker is that an A or an A E I W A uh anyway hey next time guys just print this out <laughs> just print it out the one the one capital letter per square form of filling out a form doesn't help as much as you think it would okay so I don't know. This is Felix, probably, or yeah. Well, I okay. feel like I misplaced the modifier there um, egregiously to the point that it may have been uh, Felix, either one of her stuffed cats, or the room wearing the underwear. <laughs> but it was Felix. I, I feel like the context was pretty clear. It's my so only is hope. Felix. Uh, have name for these animals? Oh do, yeah. Do your kids name your their stuffed animals? Yes, uh, we have. Um, uh, well, we don't. We don't have names for all of them, and some. Of, so I don't know how your kids are, but mine. Um, it's a real crapshoot as to whether they're gonna uh, sort of tolerate a stuffed animal, actively reject the stuffed animal, or take it under their wing. Both. Yeah, it's like having. Well, I don't know if you've ever owned a cat, but they. I have. Are very similar with having given them things. They'll either avoid it like it's some kind of predator. Mm -hmm. They'll love it, which is very rare, or they'll just sort of ignore it. Yeah. So for Felix, um, we've we've with Archer, there was he went through a couple of phases. We had a stuffed Kirby that was heavily loved um, for a while, and a stuffed uh, little Mickey Mouse. Uh, but, um, with Felix, she has these stuffed cats. What had happened is, um, back if you recall, like she was in the hospital for the like minor procedure and, yeah. um, I got her, uh, Archer and I were bored out of our skulls. So we went to the gift shop and I was like, eh, might as well get her something. Um, so we got her a, uh, a, like a Thai brand, like stuffed cat. It's just a fairly tasteful, like black stuffed cat. And she, well, I got out of procedure, and she was the happiest I've ever seen about this stuffed cat. Like it, it was for all of the stuffed animals that we did have, we didn't have a cat. We had like a bears and stuff, right? But and like plenty of BB-8s. Our house has lots of BB-8s. But um, she immediately bonded with this cat and uh, named it Kelly Kitty Kitty. Um, after the the she and Archer, ugh, this story goes back, but she and Archer had. Um, on a Skype call with my mother-in-law named her cat uh, that she had. And Archer wanted to name the cat. This was when Felix was younger. Archer wanted to name it Kelly. Felix wanted to name it Kitty Kitty. And so they named it Kelly Kitty Kitty. Um, hmm. there's, a, there's a theme here because my, my kid, his favorite, or my youngest, Jules, his favorite animal is 
probably the exact same cat, but in the orange and white striped variety. Uh, oh, sort of a Hobbs cat. We have a Hobbs cat, a uh, Hobbs tiger, I guess. Uh, stuffed tiger. Perhaps. Mm. Um, he named it Cat Cat. <laughs> nice. That's, I that's mean, more, he was, it's even more uh, uh, efficient. Yeah, he, he didn't have an older sibling trying to also name it, so he just got Cat Cat. Nice. So, so Kelly Kitty Kitty um, was the cat that my, my kids, I'm not even sure they ever met Kelly Kitty Kitty in person, maybe once. Um, and they would they would say hi to it on on uh, the FaceTime, and uh, then I don't recall why. I think it was an extenuating circumstance and not old age, but Kelly Kitty Kitty passed away. Um, so then my my kids got to to sort of process the concept of death via a cat that they only knew over FaceTime. Uh, so the late Kelly Kitty Kitty um, stuck around from a name perspective long enough to now be immortalized in stuffed cat form and is now my child's favorite cat, our favorite stuffed animal. Um, now Kelly Kitty Kitty is joined by a um, like $5 stuffed cat from Ikea who is uh, apparently named Coney Cat. Coney Cat? Mm-hmm. Sometimes there is no explanation. No. Maybe. There really isn't. She immediately just declared him to be Coney in the middle of Ikea. And then Shannon was like, well, I guess we're buying this cat now. Wait, we, we have one. Well, okay. So he had a black cat as well. I don't know where it is, but he, he called it shadow cat. Sweet. And he got that one later. So I think he had more vocabulary and, then we have a snake that we got at a fair, and Winston was young when we got it, and it's inexplicably named Seven Stars, uh, which, I mean, I think is cool, but I'm not, I don't know where that came from. That, see, that, if, mm, that sounds like the start of a, uh, a sort of a, let's, let's say half of a one hour episode of like a, spooky tales show or something (laughs) well i'm thinking either it had something to do with winning a prize like uh, i don't know or seven stars though if you said five stars i'd be in but i don't know yeah i had been i do read him a lot of um like tolkien but like the silmarillion and then like uh lovecraft stories and stuff winston was really into that so I sort of want to believe that he just absorbed that sort of exactly what you're saying, that creepy, uh, unknown sounding vibe. So, I mean, he's popular around the house still. I, if you're, well, I mean, uh, he occasionally hovers and you'll find him just like wrapped around people's necks when they're sleeping. I imagine we don't talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. As long as he doesn't know that we know, like, it's fine. It's a don't ask, don't tell sort of evil, magical stuff snake situation. <laughs> they don't have movies of that where it's like clearly possessed, but they just sort of ignore it and coexist with it. They, I would watch that. They do that with zombies. Isn't there an entire television show where Drew Barrymore is a zombie? I don't know. What are the kids watching? Um, I don't know. That, but I'll say, okay. I, I'm pretty sure that's a show. So there should there should be another show where someone is just an unspeakable eldritch horror. 
but they like you know have to take out the trash like a good roommate sometimes. Oh, wacky hijinks! Tell me, tell me you've seen uh, what we do in the shadows. I've seen some of it. I I think I wasn't in the right. I think I need um, to share that sort of comedy with. Uh, I need to share that experience live because um, that sort of like slow burn deadpan like stuff hard for me to watch alone and at the time i was alone and i ended up getting bored um but i thought it was very clever i just didn't stick around for the whole thing that's true i did watch part of it one time and then i watched the whole thing with a group later that feels like at least for me i'd recommend it yeah i i think i need if i'm going to be alone i'm watching like a movie movie um usually it has to be something that like I have gotten sign off that Shannon is not remotely interested in. Like that's how I watch the uh, Fast and the Furious movies every once in a while. Like, to watch a movie alone is that what you're saying? Yeah, or like the uh, the Terry Gilliam movie with Christopher <clears throat> Christoph Waltz from a couple of years ago, like off the wall stuff like that. Oh, I never did watch that. It's okay. Matt Damon. Uh, what shows we up. what we do? <laughs> he does that in quite a few movies. Yeah. What we do in the shadows, just so no one else is lost is about a flat in New Zealand where a bunch of vampires live together. It's but it's one filmed as a documentary where like they just have to sort of like do normal day-to-day stuff living in a apartment. It's one of the Fly of the Concords dudes or it's just um Jermaine Clement, right? Jermaine Clement? Yeah. I think I think so. Yes. Yeah. It's funny. I th- yeah. Anyway. Mhm. So uh, I haven't, huh? Huh? No, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't noticed seven stars acting up lately. So I think I'm okay. See, boy, just the entire the the entire setup there of my my. Now, when they were at the fair, what, did you win seven stars in a prize, or did you like turn around and Jules was holding seven stars, and you just sort of. Accepted that. You no, know, that's must interesting. Have when I try to think about it, there's like a big hole in my memory. I can't tell if, if you're blurry. Jo- I can't tell if you're joking or not. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Or a uh, better question: Was there even? All right, you're saying even if he had won a prize, uh, was that were the circumstances of the game that he was playing a little odd? Like maybe, maybe it was a go- game where you throw one ring. And and onto the like the bottle, and he threw it, and he just got it the first time, and then there was only one prize behind the the desk, and it, like there wasn't like a hundred stuff stuff. Uh, yeah, was see, just one. Liam was really jealous. My second kid, and he, uh, we came back to get another snake, and the booth was never there. Right. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. That booth's been closed for 20 years. <laughs> Why we keep moving this booth around <laughs> with us as we go from town to town. Uh, the, uh, the, my children, uh, I sent you, so I sent you uh, the, the fictional map that we're working on. Yeah. Uh, this relates weirdly to that because uh, we added some more, not, it wouldn't be more content for the map, but certainly more content for the, the fiction that we're working on. Uh, all right, so for the listeners, I, I really hate, like, I, maybe I should refer to the listeners in first person. You, the listener. So I, I, That's no, a lot I don't like creepy. that. I don't like that at all. Um, okay, I'm just going to go with my normal plan of ignoring the listener. 
So I started, uh, as you know, there we go. I'll do what movies do where they, a a character tells another character something they obviously know. Um, but the movie is lazy and has to have somebody push the plot forward. Exposition. (laughs) Like, so like a, a, veteran cop on the force tells another veteran cop something basic about like <laughs> what cops do <laughs> like that's what video games do too so as you know or like uh, uh you know the captain lost his partner back in the day <laughs> yeah uh i i've been uh telling stories to my kids that started out as a um as a, uh, I didn't want to read them a book again, uh, started telling Felix stories of Princess Felix. And Princess Felix uh, lives in a castle, and very early on, uh, Felix determined that the castle was purple. Um, and I had, uh, I, I quickly, the sort of basis of the story is Felix lives in a purple castle. It's at the top of a waterfall. Um, that was my part. I just thought, I think waterfalls are cool. Um, and she flies an X-Wing, and she hangs out with BB-8, and she has various adventures. This is based off of what my dad used to do for me and my siblings, which was there was a alternate named set of children in his story. I just went with Princess Felix because I, I didn't want to carry on this particular tradition. But my dad would tell, tell us the tales of Jam, Smillion, and Lily. Um, and in his stories, which were significantly less fantastical, if I recall, I believe it was mostly about Jam Smillion and Lily being very good at their chores and, uh, sort of taking, ah, how yeah, subtle. very responsible, <laughs> being very responsible. Um, so in our stories, Princess Felix goes on various, like fairly tropey, uh, fantastical adventures, um, with, and, uh. But I got, I mean, I, she's three. I can be as tropey as I want. Like, oh, we went to the magical forest or whatever. And uh, so Archer, uh, Prince Archer lives in a fortress in the mountains, sort of to the north. Um, and we've been vaguely working out directional aspects to it over, you know, the course of a year or two, well, probably a couple of years, enough that, that we, we have a map. And... Um, I sent you the map, and I'm very excited to see if you can draw it with your um, surprisingly proficient uh, ma- fantasy map drawing skills. But um, far to the west, uh, in, the, in Princess Felix's land, which I believe is called Three Land, but she has also informed me that when she turns four, it will be renamed Four Land. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's sort of a. Uh dynamic situation. I mean, we haven't established sort of the gulf, the governmental structure of, or even like the economic basis of, of three. I was assuming an absolute dictatorship. If she's just renaming the country every year. Yeah. That's probably what it actually is. Um, so far to the West, there was the, uh, we had been to the, the burger festival down the street, uh, the day, the day that, um, I I was having to tell them a story. They demanded a story about a festival, and because I was feeling lazy, I just thought of a double festival, which is a, it was a burger, burger festival festival was the name of it. Um, and, uh, and so sounds the, good, good. Yeah. So they go, they go into there and they play pinball games where you always have two balls and, uh, you eat double hot dogs and double burgers and, uh, you're greeted by a man with a top hat and he takes it off and bows to meet you, but he's wearing another top hat underneath it, which is just a funny concept. Like in a vacuum um i was the kid who 
would question how specifically the top hat situation would work. And then, you know, my parents would just get frustrated and tell me to go to sleep. <laughs> I, I, they both are very, it's a, I'm, I'm sure that one day I will look back and really like treasure this like under 10 sort of age. Cause they, they're both just sort of like on, along for the ride. Like they're thrilled whenever I ask them for like details, like, Oh, what are they, you know, what kind of ice cream are they eating or whatever? But for the yeah, most part, they're just a, up for it. We have, so I've gone through a lot of iterations of the stories. Um, we don't, well, we've had a couple that have lasted a while. Um, but we'll move between sets of stories. And I, I found, <laughs> I like telling stories, but also books, not all of them are really good. And they also feel like you're trapped because you look at it and you're like, how long is this book? This is a kid's book. Oh, man. I start to get nervous. Talk to me about trap books. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we have quite a few Stories, I think the most popular one that's developed is uh, Dr. Mannheim stories, where it's basically a vehicle for me to modify, steal, and create my own uh, Lovecraftian stories. <laughs> um, now, I, you know, I, I don't, like, intentionally try to scare them. But there are that feeling of like anything, like a Twilight Zone and that kind of thing. Right. Oh, excuse me. And um, I mean, it is a little creepy, but they're constantly asking for Dr. Mannheim stories. Although, yeah, yeah, I try to make them thematic, but it's pretty easy. And I think it's better than books a lot of times. It, so, I mean, I, I should read literally any Lovecraft because when I think Lovecraft, I think like, el, like I said earlier, eldritch horror, sort of like existential fear, uh, deep, dark, ancient ones and stuff like, but are you talking more like, uh, <laughs> like, oh, the brain in the jar kind of stuff, <laughs> like, like 60s, <laughs> like sort of corny horror? Because I imagine you're not trying They'll to actually never terrify never defeat your... me, Captain Manheim. <laughs> I am the death ray. Oh, the death uh, ray. No, I don't like those stories. Um, oh, oh, goodness. Let's see. It's not all somebody dying or something. It's usually, it's more of an archaeological thing. So this guy, oh. he has a whole backstory, you know? Like when he was a kid, he saw something he couldn't explain, like this shadow chased some guy and he never saw the guy again and so his whole life he's like searched for through papers and around the world and he became an archaeologist and he looks for these sites that um indicate uh the existence of ancient cultures or alien visitation or unknown whatevers i mean this is very much lovecraft but like Mm -hmm. Um, I suppose it has more of a um reputation of maybe a like horror death situation, and no, but it's more existential and confusing. And at first, it's interesting because kids are used to stories being um resolved, and the biggest thing that was a problem was that. 
the point of the story was that they didn't really know what had happened. You know, it's like classic. It's like X Files. Right. You didn't. You sort of could guess at it, but it wasn't totally resolved, and you don't know what happened, or you didn't see the thing that had been going on. And for a while, Winston would just get in arguments with me, or not arguments, but like <laughs> he would just think about it, and like the next day he'd be like, you know. Also, though, Dad, it may have been, was it that he was never there? Just tell me. I was like, I don't know, buddy. <laughs> wow. Man. He's really used to it now, though. They crave it, and they'll come up with their own little stories. It's quite uh, fun to listen to. Oh, boy. So, I mean, you gave me the first, like, the setup, but I mean, a setup of a guy going around the world looking for old stuff could also be, like, a National Treasure movie. Like, it could go in a lot of directions. So, like, is it, are, are you bringing in sort of, like, paranormal encounters? Are you bringing in, like, is someone uttering uh, fell incantations? Or is this, or is everything just, like, uh, you glance okay. to the side and think you saw something kind of thing? Well, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble with anyone here, but um, there's all of this. Uh, okay. they'll, ha- they'll be sort of, he's sort of developed a reputation for um, people sending him stuff like that or it gets to him. This is Dr. Mannheim? Yeah, Dr. Mannheim. Okay. And he works at a university, obviously. And uh-huh, he's not well respected at the university necessarily because no. of his interests. Yeah, he's gallivanting around the globe. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, un- Ten- he can never obviously. He can, you know, certainly, he can never prove wh- what he's getting at. But he'll see something in a paper, and he'll go investigate it, and he'll uncover like a artifact um, that has writing on it that no one can decipher. But he's seen it at an archaeological site, and he'll go investigate, or he'll investigate a the, a missing. Uh, he'll get a a letter from another uh, person that he'd been working with and hadn't heard from him. He'll go investigate and they'll go in a, uh, some kind of find some kind of writing and he'll have a book and he'll try to, he'll, he's used incantations to open doors. And there was one time where they found an underground, like massive cavern city and it looked like completely abandoned, but they couldn't figure out why. And then they finally found the other guy who'd been down there. And he was, let's see, he was being held captive by a race of underground people who had developed the ability to live in the underground sewer systems of this cavern, which didn't know why. And they had lost their sight. And so they rescued him, but they wouldn't follow them above ground, and they thought they had gotten away cleanly. But it turns out that there was this shadow entity that tried to chase them. Um, and they lost, maybe one person vanished. But they got out of the cave, and then there was a whole thing about seeing them in the cave. Uh, portals to other dimensions, things that want to come through portals. Uh, the idea of um, consciousness and... If you can move between bodies with your consciousness, you know, kid stuff. In your kids, so in your kids' sleep, it's fascinating. <laughs> well, I think you'd be surprised. Like, 
it's how it's presented. It's I present it very much like curiosity. Okay. I don't try to make it scary. I try to make it like, you know, what's going on? And Dr. Mannheim is never freaked out. He's like desperately curious and nothing scares him. Oh, okay. And I think it provides him a good way to like think about just the oddity of life, which I'm very obsessed with. Y- y- yeah, the... um. Yeah, this is going to be my next question is sort of like what's Dr. Mannheim's. He sounds a little more down to business than like an Indiana Jones type. Uh, is he is he real? Is he like would you call him a fleshed out character? Do you have like a, any like uh, Dr. Mannheim off the clock sort of stories or is he more of like just a proxy ups- for the kids not being scared? Well, OK, so he's he's he has a compatriot in the university, Professor Jameson. And he's a younger professor. Dr. Mannheim's an older professor. Okay. Um, and his whole life has been spent following this. He's a, li- he's a bit obsessed with it. Um, and so he spends all of his hours working on this. He, oh, he has family, but not his family, like, you know, nephews and such. So oh. his whole life has been spent working on this. And he has a younger professor who believes in him that goes on these adventures with him with possibly some uh, graduate students sometimes uh, named Professor Jameson. But yeah, Dr. Mannheim spends all of his time. This is his passion and obsession, um, but he's a very positive figure. Okay. He's, 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 a, he's scatterbrained classically for someone obsessed with something, but he will... Uh, try to um he will willingly put himself in danger to help others out if he's got them into trouble those kinds of things i see well that okay so you're you're going like real hard into the like uh freaking shadow entities and and body switching and portals and stuff but you've got yourself a a sort of four kids strong base character with like there's no uh, gray areas with old Doctor Mannheim. He sounds he sounds like a pillar of uh, a pillar of heroism. Well, he well he certainly he certainly is flawed. Like he he won't give up on things even though it's clearly dangerous. Oh well, I mean he's endearingly flawed. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah certainly, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean mostly the villains are going to be other people. Um, I, I'm sorry, you said shadow entity earlier. Are are all the strange things just sort of like? Well, oh, okay. I guess they're they not. Are, they're not like they're malevolent not, shadow, shadow entities. They're just like curiosities. It's more of like their nature. Okay. No, they could be malevolent, but I think kids see those things as monsters. But I mean, how other people treat Doctor Mannheim, I think, is more something that would reflect on what they'll see in life because people dismiss him all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to raise conspiracy theorists here, mm. but I do believe that, you know, Dr. Mannheim has done the work and other people are very dismissive and, um, of d- dismissive of him and <clears throat> don't give him his chance. So, I mean, the ideal of pursuing the truth against, people who would ridicule you for it is also an ideal that I would like to instill. 
yeah, a good faith pursuit of the truth, certainly. Uh, huh. So uh, Dr. Mannheim hasn't run a run a run afoul of the feds, I imagine. Um, or like you know, <laughs> you know, I I don't think I've included like a uh, an authority structure foreign, po- <laughs> foreign police force being uh, <laughs> called on his illegal dig sites or something. Right? They did yeah. go to a they did fall into a temple once, uh, where they got to witness. One of them touched a stone, and they probably shouldn't have. Uh, you can't they, touch the stones. Everybody knows yeah. that. I know, especially if it's standing in the middle of the room on like a platform. Yeah, with like a beam of light hitting it. Yeah, no, don't touch that stone. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's awesome. The, the like that. I mean, really, if you think back to Indiana Jones films, unless I'm forgetting something about Last Crusade because I've only watched it a couple times and I generally dislike it, uh, you don't get as much ancient temple diving as you remember like it's pretty much only the beginning of the first movie and then a touch of the second movie but the second movie is again more of like escaping that and then having some other unrelated adventure right i mean yeah no i think i mean there's plenty i mean okay there's the there's the fourth one but nobody really no, talks we're not going to talk one. about the fourth one um yeah, it's the opening scene of the opening one. Right. He's in an ancient temple. Yeah, and then that that's sort of the um I mean that's that's sort of all you get. But that I mean that was fascinating to me as a kid. Like that's still one of my favorite movies. Um and then I think of like I, I read at least I wanna say um Quatermain. Did you ever read the Alan Quatermain stuff? I think those were books. It was like proto Indiana Jones. I don't think I did. Mm, I, I'm gonna. I'm, I think that's the right name. There was like there was some like stuff that they drew on for Indiana Jones that was like a little bit older and more, <laughs> but like uh, the, the same sort of like there wasn't necessarily anything scary about the temple, but it was like puzzles or like you know some sort of ancient like like foreign peoples uh, like yeah. all, stuff like I that. I read a series uh, by Frank Peretti. I think. Oh. Which is a Christian, yeah. Uh, I don't know, thriller author, yeah, sort of. Uh, and they were actually pretty good. Uh, what were they called? Anyway, it was like this guy and his two kids, and they would investigate these mysterious things, but they were related to Bible stuff. But I, it was scary, like Revelation, like the pit of the seal on the abyss or something. So it was pretty intense. Was that a kid's series? I vaguely yeah, remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I read it that. Was. I read I that can't too. Remember what it was called, I would, but. I actually feel like that making it about, not about revelation is a little bit easier to process, maybe a little bit less problematic than tying it directly to like the seven seals or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's intense, but, um, let's see. We do like, uh, holiday themed ones i had a good one for christmas where i love a good christmas special Mannheim was uh the point is you gotta you gotta keep them on the hook until the very end so i make the ones that have entertaining endings pretty scary during it so that they can get that full relief at the end and this one he had received a package of like it was a blizzard outside you don't even say it's christmas until halfway through where he realized it was too late to go home because of the blizzard, and he was trapped there on Christmas Eve. But he'd received a package, and he opens it up, 
and it's like this book with this myth of some creature that lives in the far north and he opens up this package and it's this glowing red crystal orb and it goes on and then something hits the ceiling and then something's stalking him and essentially Santa Claus appears to retrieve Rudolph's nose but Rudolph's nose is in this case an ancient artifact that had been found for him and retrieved but it's a uh, oh and that's so good on uh <laughs> on Halloween it was sort of uh, I did sort of a um what a like a off episode and I um let them they wanted to do something funny so anyway I created a uh, Doctor Mannheim's cousin less successful cousin who always looked up to Dr. Mannheim and wanted to emulate him named Dr. Ham Hamheim. Oh man. Is he, is he like a, is he, is this like a flawed villain, like driven by jealousy? Like, uh, the, the, uh, Everybody knows uh, Han Solo's cousin from the 90s <laughs> Star Wars books, Thracken Sal Solo. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, you do for sure. Oh, yeah. Thracken Sal Solo sucked. Anyway. Oh, no, yeah. Well, I let them name help me name this. Uh-huh. So, Dr. Hamheim. <laughs> Dr. Hamheim sounds tell, like he sucks Dr. already. Dr. Hamheim likes ham just let's put that up front now that was determined for me so uh, then i had to come up with a story about this <laughs> everybody like, no he's know. he's a he's a bumbling he's not a villain but he's a bumbling sort of self-obsessed person so the moral he learns is that um we shouldn't chase out other people's successes because it might not be what we actually want uh, which he learns and becomes a much happier person because he tries to find all these artifacts like his famous cousin and fails over and over and gets swindled constantly. But then finally on accident gets a real one and it <clears throat> uh, raises all these undead. Remember this is Halloween and they all start showing up to his house, but like they're not nefarious. They're just like, he's their master all of a sudden. Oh, that's good. But another like evil person, of course, finds out and wants to use the artifact to control them as an undead army. So Hamheim like bumbles his way through winning that battle, and now he lives in sort of a you know house on the way with sort of a butler army of skeletons and zombies who sort of like hang out with him. Uh, oh, so it's a permanent thing. He's just got to live. Oh, yeah, no. And they're all like buds. They just <laughs> live in the house together. What does Hamheim do on his off time? I mean, do you think? like, does Well, he... he gave up artifact hunting. Right. Um, does... So I don't know. I haven't had another Hamheim story. Maybe he does charity work now. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, you think he lives off? You think Mannheim like, like, sort of like throws him a, a slice of his, uh, his professor money now and again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that they come from a rich family. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is why they've been able to, like, pursue their stuff obsessively. Yeah, that's... So, that's, I need to have a crossover, for sure. I mean, if you're a kid, like, for the amount of times that Felix has asked me about something and then offered me a quarter to help pay for it, I think that having them just <laughs> be from a rich family is a good way to sort of, like, set aside the, like, 
economic questions of the Mannheim families. Well, issues. I was obsessed now. with. <laughs> I was obsessed with the sort of turn of the century curiosity science fiction, like Journey to the Center of the Earth yeah. and um, the Time Machine. And these guys are all like tinkery scientists, but like they don't really do anything. They might be a professor or maybe. But they live in these mansions with servants, and they have laboratories that they spend all their time working on. And so there was this sort of era where, you know, there was a class of people that just sort of lived off of wealth and, um, you know, pursued what they did, which is, I think, where a lot of art or um, like philosophy and, and stuff like that came from, so. Um, yeah, to an extent. I mean, yeah, the, uh, there's definitely like, I'm thinking of various Vern stories and that's like, I want to say the first men in the moon is a good one where it's just like the archetypal, like crazy guy up the hill who's always working on something weird. Like, I mean, that, that's such a, like, a that's such a standard sort of setup. So like, yeah, maybe it's old money or maybe the house, the house is usually dilapidated though. Let's, let's be honest. Like they're usually not doing super well. I can't think of a story where a guy like actively has servants. It's usually just a weirdo loner who's working uh, on something. Yeah, well, I think there's usually like a servant. Yeah, maybe the guy Look, who's been like this. with the family if, for 40 if years I or wasn't, whatever. <laughs> if I wasn't working for like a month, there would be problems <laughs> where I live. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what they used to be doing, but it was an easier time back then. There's something a lot more romantic about that time period and um, inventing. Like invent back when inventor kind of unironically could mean, I'm, I'm, I guess in the context of a sci-fi story at least, like unironically could mean just guy in a giant laboratory making things. I feel like a lot of the things now are not necessarily things one person can uh, make there are exceptions. There's the guy who built his own self-driving car uh, in like his garage. Did you hear about that dude? It's like a he used like machine learning. Uh, I don't think I oh, I did, but it I, I definitely know, know that it's so much more rare because the complexity just scales up so fast to do anything truly unique now right it's not like being able to weld doesn't like (laughs) cut it you have to be able to like program (laughs) and uh, probably 3d print and then like the the uh the equipment you need is a lot more complex um i was just talking to shannon last night about this because archer um is working we have the labo thing right um and i had completely forgotten that the sort of uh the peak of the labo stuff is not like Oh, we built the, he built the piano. He built the piano by himself. Um, like I, I helped with like how hard it is. Uh, it's, they tell you 180 to 240 minutes, I think to build the piano, Whoa. um, which is probably an adult time. Like it took him a number of, um, sessions because you're, I mean, it's a fully functional, like 10 key. I want to say 10, it's like an octave, uh, keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got like IR sensing stuff in it. There's, two buttons and a switch on the side and then like these modules that you drop in the top that do things. And, um, and it's, it's really cool. Um, like I want to play with it. It's got, there's a sequencer in there where you can layer up to eight phrases on top of one another. Um, and then after all of that, it unlocks something called the Toycon garage, which is a straight up like 
uh, logic thing where you're dragging uh, nodes around a screen and there's an and and an, uh, and a timer and a I forget whether there's like six or seven things you can put in between inputs and outputs, but you can just map mm-hmm. things together and the, and oh, it just cool. gives you access to everything. Um, so I'm very excited about it. He's super excited. Like it's, he's done some really basic stuff that they showed us how to do. Like you basically say like, um, there's a little like cardboard guy that comes with the set. It's just like an out, uh, like an outline of a human and you hook the, one of the, um, the toy cons to the back of him and stand him up but then you can tell the other Toy-Con that on shake, vibrate the first Toy-Con, and it'll make him fall over. But then you can, like, shake it, and it'll play a sound and vibrate the Toy-Con and make him fall over. Right, they're teaching you, like, this one input can do two outputs or, like, whatever. Um, He wants to make a backwards piano, which you can totally do because you have access to all of the inputs of the piano. So you can say, like, when I hit the middle C it's actually going to play F or it's going to like create this other chain of events. Like it's, it's potentially very complex. Um, and it's teaching him like logic and stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so we were looking at this and like, I was, it's, I think he's finally reached that age where he's like, like uninterrupted. will just work on the piano for like two hours, like folding cardboard. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And and he did. Some people never reach that age. It's true, and he he did such a good job. And I'm like, he. I was worried when we got the thing that like I would need to be doing all the folding, or he would mess up a fold and get frustrated. And like, I don't want to buy a new set of cardboard if we screw something up. But no, the piano is flawless, and uh, and it reminded me of when he was like four, maybe. He presented me one Saturday morning with like a drawing that he'd been working all day on, and it was like a. Um, controller and he's like it, it it was like um i have it somewhere but he had drawn what he wanted like his game controller and he was like all right we're gonna make this controller today daddy i made i designed it and i had to like explain to him that controllers are like made in factories and require like circuits and stuff and he was <laughs> so bummed out like like the the like he had you know no concept of the thing that you can't make in your in your living room, or even like I was saying to loop it back, like like the the first men in the moon, which I believe is H.G. Wells. You know, it's got that feeling of like the um the guy in his his laboratory and he's welding the panels onto a spaceship. Like that's not that's not as achievable as it's now as it seemed right, in like eighteen ninety six or whatever. <laughs> We've made a sphere. And now it goes to the moon. Or the bottom of the ocean or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, this was back when, like, people just straight hadn't tried all the combinations of chemicals. They're like, well, nobody's mixed these two before. What if we heat it up? And (laughs) that's like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's basically what alchemy was. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I wonder if it truly is just that much more complex or... There's probably an element of everyone feels that way, and then it gets more complex. But there is, I think, an absolute complexity that makes it sort of hard to do new or novel things by yourself at home. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's weird. Just the abstraction of what you're using has changed. Like, even with the, like, uh, we have a um, the snap circuits thing, right? Like you, you're snapping. Have you seen snap circuits, right? 
It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like those are cool, and we had a good time with that. He built a few dozen. It comes with like seventy nine projects that are all really probably about twenty projects, and they've just kind of like made them all marginally different to to pad out the book. And we did a lot of those, but like it's not that satisfying because a lot of them are built around these two or three integrated circuits that have like six pins on them and it doesn't tell you what the pins are. So like, although you're learning that like a circuit needs to be complete and like there's a resistor and things like that, the, a lot of them are just going into these black boxes, right? Like, and Uh, you know, and we have the same issue. We bought a little at on clear. It's a target. I got this little like DIY synth project and that was a good for a couple mornings where that one is actually like a breadboard and like sticking, uh, wires into it and stuff. And, uh, so I had to help a fair amount with that one, but that kind of has the same issue where it's like the, everything revolves around a chip and the chip has 24 pins or whatever. And they're, yeah, they're not labeled. It just the, tells you, it just tells you like, <laughs> don't worry about it. You know, put <laughs> hook it up to this. And it's like, I don't want, I want to know what it is. Complexity, uh, or time that it would take to get, get to something that's like, obviously doing something entertaining is pretty high because I went to school for partly doing stuff like this, like building logic circuits. And um, you would do stuff if you wanted to do it just from gates, right? So the most basic lowest level logic system where it was, you know, and gates and or and stuff like that. And then wires and resistors or whatever. Um, you would spend hours and hours in a week lab work um, to make like a counter. You know, mm-hmm. it would count on an LED thing. Oh yeah, that, I did the down, with the crystal press display. A button or yeah. whatever. Um, and like nobody wants to do that for entertainment, <laughs> and so it's just like we were saying. There's just this level of complexity where you have to accept black boxes now to do things that are up to your interest level. Yeah. And I think that's, that's totally okay. I just wish that like for both of those sets, they told us anything about the black box because I'm one of those people like I, like I, here's another example. The, um, the, with the Labo toy con stuff, you can go Google like blog posts that are showing like, here's some cool stuff people have built, built with the Labo and some of it's totally nuts um, in terms of complexity, but like the one that, uh, stuck out to me was like a guy built a, a game where you throw stuff into a hat and it counts. It gives you a point every time you throw something in the hat. Well, the way that the guy built it is just, he stuck a toy con on the edge of the hat. Toy con's the controller, obviously the, one of them has an IR motion sensor on it. So you balance that on the edge of a hat. And then every time you throw something in there, um, it picks it up and it, and it boops the counter. Um, and he had kind of, that guy had taken a piece of paper and cut like a rectangle out of it and put it over the screen of his, um, of his switch. And, um, the reason that he did that is on the screen is a, uh, led style digit counter. And I guarantee you that Thing is impossibly complicated behind the scenes because it is you would have to build an led style digit counter using the like very sort of primitive 
uh, logic gate tools of um, <laughs> of the la- you don't get a NAND or an XOR or anything. All you get is an AND and, and an implicit OR by hooking two things into one input, um, and that's it. And a NOT, you do get a NOT. So all you, you need is a NOT can. Well, and like that's the thing is you could build a, a, whatever gate using that stuff, but it would take eons and so like yeah. the actual part of the what he built that was complicated was mm-hmm. because they don't give you a black box that's just like here's a counter so he had to go build a giant led counter and then the part that actually triggers the counter is like incredibly trivial it's just trivial. like a, yeah so it, yeah it, no i'm with yeah. you a lot like i i wonder though if it's not just a personality type that wants to know. But I think if you're doing some of these things, you're already likely to be somebody who would want to know. And once you really understand how something works, your brain sort of opens up to all the possibilities of it rather than just being presented with, this looks cool and this looks cool. You know, you really think, oh, you know, what's actually possible with this kind of technology? Right, or, or for me, it's just... I it, it feels like using a, a software library. Like you know, obviously that's a, another black box situation, right? Like you're you're not going to build mm-hmm. a date parser every time, but like I at least want to know how it works, right? Like I in the these these kids circuit sets that are just like plug this into here. It's like well if I'm not learning what I'm plugging into there and why, like I don't need to know how the IC is constructed necessarily, but at least tell me what the pins represent. Like, give me something. I remember, I think we should be, I think we should be sensitive to kids who want to know those kinds of things. I I definitely believe that not everybody's like that, but I remember being constantly like engaged or, or confused by how certain things worked, but were never really fleshed out like computers specifically, which is maybe why I ended up trying to do this. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I would just constantly see how they work and I would ask how they work. And how's a reg, how's a cash register work? Well, you know, you press the buttons and it adds up and I'm, you know, it, it just was never enough. Like you kept regressing to the point where I was like, well, you turn on electricity and where does it go? How are you <laughs> pressing? Like, why is this button doing anything? And yeah, so it got back to the basic level. And you know what? It's understandable. It's just that it seems like too much to go into, I guess. But it's not that complicated a concept. It is complicated to implement, but like, it's, I think people would see the world a little differently if they understood more underlying concepts, not like they have to be good at doing it or anything. Yeah, and um, or but like not just the concept in a vacuum, because like what I think of is when I, I when I was a kid, yeah, sure, that and what, like, well, I got two. I want to try to bounce between two different things. Art. Archer um, just yesterday learned what the word mechanism means, and we've been discussing ever since then whether something is a mechanism. Because like mechanism, like a weirdly hard word to nail down, because like a button is not necessarily a mechanism, but the button has a mechanism that like triggers it. Like the a button, right? Like there's the mechanism depending on how like the context of your sentence might just mean the means that the button is activates something 
and like electricity is not a mechanism and but like a lever is a mechanism um and like uh and so he just like was like we're he was just asking me on and off all day what which what was a mechanism and i'm interested to see whether he's gonna i feel like he was more into like physically moving like oh this thing causes this to fall over or this causes this to trigger or if he's going to be more interested in like the logic and rules side of stuff or if he's going to be more interested in like electrical current um, like analog and digital right like i don't know where his interests lie specifically like right now it's a little bit of everything. analog analog is at a, a level of actually getting things to work with analog systems um i think it requires a much more intuitive brain and maybe he has that because you it's like with digital you can just break it up into modules and sort of input output and analog similar but when you look at complicated gearing systems and how they used to have to do things basically before a lot of these computer work it, it almost feels like art like it's you have to have it all in your head almost all at once and it all has to work completely together there's no distinction between the the uh, operations well so. and there's there's i mean it, analog could also mean not necessarily something non-electrical like analog synthesizers are oh yeah yeah you know very much so uh when you build circuits um it's analog you know uh right circuits non non-logic circuits that's all analog work and that was much harder to conceive of to for me um between my classes yeah i kind of want to just stick a pin in like the last week and then see where he is a year from now because like like i said he finally got to something clicked in 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 his seven and a half year old brain and like he is just like finally to phase where he will just like tuck in and make stuff with that you know build that labo thing and i'm wondering it going from here whether he's going to be more interested in setting up rules and stuff in toycon garage or whether he's going to be interested more in like the physical aspect of like, you know, making something happen. Like, like for example, with that, um, it feels like Nintendo missed out on not giving people better output options on the screen. Like they try to make it more about creative inputs from the labo stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. but like, it's like as simple as like a counter display, like there's no display options at all on the screen. Um, so if you look online, people have like, creatively used like the one thing that it'll do, which is like light up a rectangle. So you, that's how the guy did the, um, the, the, the LCD display quote unquote is by like, uh, okay. using logic outputs to light up rectangles. Um, I don't know if he's going to be more interested in like that sort of like digital logic aspect of it, or if he's going to be more interested in like building cool, uh, cardboard stuff or whatever. But, Oh, to my, to hit my second thing, like we were talking about the, um, the whole concepts and like how important it is to understand the under like kind of the basis of them. I remember my dad trying to explain analog to digital and digital to me when I was little, and he would just he just says like computers are just zeros and ones, son, and like they're just lots of zeros and ones. and like he doesn't he didn't know anything about. <laughs> I mean, if anything, my mom may have known a little bit more than him because my mom took like a Fortran class and right. she tells me about like doing the punch card and dropping it off 
like, and then coming back to the computer lab the next day to see if her output had been correct. Um, like that. Yeah. My dad had those stories. Yeah. And, and, um, but my, my dad just like tried to explain like digital versus analog to me by, by just giving me the zeros and ones talk. And I don't, it did not make any sense to me for forever. I think I may have been like in high school and read about like a, a, a website about like a digital sound emulating analog sound, right? Like you see like the, the curve versus the series of rectangles on a graph sort of comparison and something yes, click. Yes, yes, But yes. like the, the fundaments of that are not necessarily just going to explain themselves. <laughs> Dude, there's zeros and ones. What do you need? Yeah. <laughs> I have the opposite problem as a father. I'm like, well, actually, and my kids sort of start to like subtly drift away from me. Like, Daddy, could you go back to the story about the Eldritch Horror, please? <laughs> it's less intimidating than the, the, the... But it's just binary. Binary. <laughs>